Amen. Praise the Lord. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 19, please. Uh, I had on my heart tonight to teach on uh, the reality of God's healing power. You know, the um, uh, the Bible gives us a lot of uh, information, a lot of different um, uh, examples of healings in the ministry of Jesus. As a matter of fact, uh, there are 19 individual cases of healing in Jesus' ministry. seems like there's more because uh, some of the gospel writers recount the same stories. But if you take them apart and look at them uh, side by side, there are 19 individual cases of healing in the ministry of Jesus. That does not take into account the times where the multitudes were healed or, the, or larger groups like the ten lepers or so forth. Uh, but, but 19 individual cases of healing or what I sometimes call 19 healing events in Jesus' ministry. Now, John said, and he walked with Jesus for all three years of his earthly ministry. If anybody's going to know, it's going to be him. John said by the Holy Ghost, if everything Jesus said and did while he was here on the earth was written down, the world itself couldn't contain the books. That tells me, therefore, that there must have been a lot of other cases of healing, a lot of other incidents of healing than just the 19 we have record of. Well, why then do we only have record of 19? Why 19 and not 30? Why not some other number or some other method? The only thing I can conclude, and, and, uh, and I conclude this from knowing the character and the nature of God, is that these 19 individual cases of healing give us a complete picture of the healing ministry of Jesus. In other words, any individual cases or additional cases that the Bible would tell us about would be duplicates of things that are already related to us. It wouldn't give us any more information about God's goodness or mercy or willingness to heal. Now, that satisfies me. I don't know if it satisfies everybody or not, but it satisfies me because I know that we can learn everything that we need to know about healing in the ministry of Jesus from those 19 individual cases. Now, in every one of those cases, I know people read these things like fairy tales. Um, there's, there's a lot of the church that, uh, well, most of the church, I guess we could, are safe to say, most of the church accepts what Jesus did, but that's where it ends. Yeah, Jesus performed miracles, and yeah, Jesus healed the sick, but after that, after he went to the cross... You know, who really knows how it works after that? Well, Jesus said to his disciples that they and us, when he was talking to the disciples, he didn't just mean those 12. He said any of his disciples were were supposed to and were equipped to do the same works that he did and even greater works. Now, the church gets religious on that because the church by and large will say, yeah, well, we're doing the greater works. We're getting people saved. Jesus couldn't get people saved when he was here on the earth because he hadn't yet made the sacrifice on the cross. So we're doing the greater works. Okay, I'm not sure that's what Jesus was talking about, but I'm not going to argue that point. If you want to call salvation a greater work than healing, that's okay with me, but you still got a problem because Jesus said you'd do the same works and greater works. So you can't substitute getting people saved for getting people healed if that's what Jesus did when he was here on the earth, and we obviously know that he did. Now, consequently, people look at the healing ministry of Jesus uh, in a fairy tale context, even though they said, yeah, it happened and, and so forth, but they don't put it in a real world context. But folks, you need to realize everything about what Jesus did to heal the sick can be scientifically proven. I'm not talking about we can take science and go back and prove what he did. I'm talking about the things that he did at that point in time could be scientifically identified and discovered as to how or what really what happened. And you need to know, uh, I hope you do know this. I, I know that, uh, um, the spirit of the world tries to put it off in a different way. But science just simply discovers what is. Science doesn't have any answer for how. Science doesn't have some crystal ball that goes back in time or looks into the future. Science just says this is what it is. Science is like the um, um, 
the operating manual for your car. It tells you how things work, but it's not too good on telling you where to drive. It's not too good on telling you where the car came from other than the factory. It's not too good on telling you what the purpose for the car's creation was. It doesn't know any of that kind of stuff. But when I, so when I talk about scientifically identified or scientifically proven, what I mean by that is very simply this. Scientifically, you could take the, the ministry of Jesus, the healing works of Jesus, and you could identify that there was a disease that existed and a disease that departed. Science can prove that. And the same thing is true where healing is concerned today. Healing is scientific. I want to let that soak in a little bit because religion gives the idea that healing is some kind of mystical something or other. And the devil's fine with you thinking healing is mystical. Because if you think healing is mystical, you're not going to receive mystical, mystical things because how does anybody receive mystical things? Bible sure doesn't tell you how. No, healing is a scientifically identifiable event and action. Now, I picked Acts chapter 19 because I want to talk about things after Jesus went off from the scene. This is something that happened in Paul's ministry. And let me uh, let me back up and take a little side journey here. And that is to say that Paul, if, if healing belonged to the 12 apostles, Paul shouldn't have been able to heal. Paul wasn't in the group in the upper room when Jesus said, The works that I do shall you do also, and even greater works than these shall you do because I go unto my Father. See, a lot of the church wants to say, well, that was just for the 12. Then what's Paul doing healing the sick? If that power was inherent just for the 12, then what in the world is he doing and how in the world did he get the power to minister healing to the sick? Then some people will go a little bit further and they'll they'll realize they're trapped on that and they'll say, well, it was for that time period. Well, what's the difference in one time period and another time period after Jesus went to the cross? Jesus said about him going to the cross, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. People have a lot of different ideas about what this means in John chapter 14. I go to prepare a place for you. In my father's house, there are many mansions. I wish the church would get out of the idea or get rid of the idea that Jesus is in the the home building business in heaven. And as soon as he gets all the homes built, then we'll go there. Folks, he made the earth in six days. How long would it take to build houses? That's not what he's talking about. Mansions literally means abiding places. He's talking about a place or a relationship in him with God. He said, in my father's house are many abiding places. I go to prepare a place for you. Well, why did he go? Why did he go to the cross and why was he raised from the dead? To make a place in him for you to have a relationship with God. That's been done. He's not still trying to do that. That's been done. He said, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I shall come again that where I am, you may be also. Not where I was, you can be. Where I am, there you may be also. What does it mean? It means very simply this. Jesus going to the cross and being raised from the dead created a place in Christ for you and I to have a relationship with God so that we can be equipped and endued with power just like he did. And that's why he said, the works that I do shall you do also. And greater works. That's why Paul was able to heal, not because of some special time period he lived in, but because the time had begun by Jesus being raised from the dead. And that time will continue until Jesus comes back for the church. Now, what happens after that? The book of Revelation tells us a little bit that there are some changes, but the church is not here left on the earth to do the works of Jesus. So the time period 
for the church to do the works that Jesus did was from his resurrection to his coming again. And that is our period, the period that we live in today. I hope we're getting close to him coming again. Everything I see points to that. But regardless, whether it comes in our lifetime or whether it comes after our lifetime is ended, we are in the time period to do the works of Jesus because he left us here on the earth for that purpose. Amen? That's why Paul is able to heal the sick, just the same as why you or I or anybody else should be able to minister healing to the sick. Did you find Acts chapter 19 yet? Well, dear Lord, if you haven't, just give up. Look on with your neighbor or something. Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 11. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. Can I ask you a question? What's a special miracle? I'm kind of of the opinion that all miracles are special. Now, let's use a Bible definition. A miracle is defined in the Bible. Now, forget about what the world says. The world talks about miracle drugs, miracle detergents, miracle peanut butter. I'm not talking about the way the world looks at a miracle. From the Bible standpoint, miracle means a divine intervention into the ordinary course of nature. Think about what that means. What is the ordinary course of nature? It's the world the way God set it up. God intended and planned, pre-planned before the earth was ever formed, he pre-planned for him to be able to do certain things to overcome, to go beyond the natural order, the physical order of this world, the laws of physics, and so forth. He designed this world in such a way that it would run on its own according to certain laws, physical laws, natural laws. But then he also made provision for him through his own power, which is greater than the natural laws of physics and so forth, for his power to supersede those natural and physical laws. That's what a miracle is. We see the examples of them in the Bible all throughout. We see where the sun stood still for, for uh, a full day. Well, that's not the ordinary course of nature, is it? That was the power of God that changed the ordinary course of nature. We see Jesus walking on the water. Well, that's not the ordinary course of nature, is it? That was something that the power of God enabled him to supersede the law of gravity and the physical laws that would d- dictate and determine that he would sink in the, uh, from the surface of the water. There's all kinds of things that we could talk about that identify miracles, but they all come down to the same thing, and that is God divinely intervening to supersede a natural law. Now, God had that in plan. God had that in mind and had that planned from before he ever made man. What I want you to understand is this. Man's natural state is miracles. God created a world that was ordered by physical laws. He sat man in the the middle of it, and he said, you're in charge, knowing all the time that his power could supersede any and all of those natural laws at any given time for any given specific purpose. So he put man in a position to receive miracles. That's man's natural state. Man has lost that natural state because of the fall, because because mankind is dominated by sin and death. But through the redemptive work of Jesus, we can come back to our natural state, which is to receive miracles. So then back to the original question, what's a special miracle? Well, a special miracle must mean an extraordinary divine intervention into the ordinary course of nature. What else could special mean? So look at what God defines as a special miracle. And God wrought or worked Special miracles by the hands of Paul. Notice how God did it. God did it, but notice how. He did it by Paul's hands. 
Now, not every miracle takes somebody's hands. These did. God wrought special, special miracles, notice it's plural, special miracles by the hands of Paul. So it's going to describe what the special miracles were or what they did. So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the diseases departed from them, the sick, and the evil spirits went out of them that were demon-possessed. Now, what's special about that miracle? This is the first time that we have examples of the power of God being transmitted long distance. We've got examples of people already being healed by the laying on of hands. We've got examples of people, of demons being cast out by the laying on of hands. But this is the first time that it happens without the presence of the individual doing the laying on of the hands. So what does it tell us? It tells us, first and foremost, that the healing power of God has to have substance. Why does it have to have substance? When I say substance, I don't mean something that you can feel. I don't mean something that you can touch. I don't mean something you can define and box up. I mean, it has to be a heavenly materiality. It's certainly not an earthly materiality. If it was an earthly materiality or an earthly substance, in other words, we could put it in a jar and put a lid on it and say, I've got the healing power of God. Well, that can't happen. No matter what some preacher says will happen when you send them an offering. That's just not the case. Well, then what do we mean then? It has to have substance because without substance, it could not be stored in the cloths and the aprons. If there is no substance to the healing power of God, if there is no heavenly materiality to the healing power of God, then we might just as well say that air conducted some kind of special miracle through these handkerchiefs and aprons. Because even though we know air is present, air has some kind of substance. It has molecules. It has a molecular structure. And so we could say, well, it was just the air. But it couldn't have been the air. Air didn't soak into these fabrics and heal the sick and cast out the devils. Well, what did? The healing power, the healing and delivering power of God that came about as a result of Paul laying his hands. Let me see if I've got one that I can use as a prop. Paul laying his hands on a handkerchief or an apron, something that, that says to me is fabric or cloth or something of that, of that nature. It does not say he, he laid his hands on a bottle of oil and that anointing oil then was blessed. It doesn't say that was the healing power of God or a special miracle that God did. It said Paul laid his hands on aprons or cloths, handkerchiefs or aprons, meaning to me that means cloth. That means some kind of fabric. And that healing power went out of his hands into the cloth. Then when the cloth was taken to the sick and laid on the sick, that healing power of God went out of the cloth into the, into the sick person and healed them. Just as if, just as if Paul had laid his hands on the sick person in person. The same thing is true. Paul laid his hands on these handkerchiefs and aprons. And when those handkerchiefs and aprons saturated with the healing power of God were taken to those that were possessed with the devils and laid upon them, the devils departed. The evil spirits departed out of them. Just as if Paul was there in person, either speaking the word or laying hands on them and casting out the devil himself. First time that's ever happened. You can't even find that happening in Jesus' ministry. Now you can find it happening in a measure but not long distance. 
You can find where people touched the hem of Jesus' garment and were healed, indicating that the healing power of God saturated the garment or the cloak that he wore, but not where it was taken from him to somebody else and affected a healing or a cure in their bodies. Can't find it. Here's a special miracle. I wonder, just me, I wonder if this is one of those greater works that Jesus was talking about being done. Well, yeah, I don't know, Pastor Mike. Is that really greater than what Jesus did? Look, how could Jesus mean greater? He raised the dead, for goodness sakes. How can you get greater than that? He's got to just mean greater in the sense of a different operation because you can't get greater in quality than anything and everything Jesus did. It's impossible. So what would greater mean? Well, I can see greater meaning something like that, where it operated in a different way than it ever it, uh, ever worked even in Jesus' ministry. That says greater to me. I certainly don't believe Jesus is saying, well, I heal little diseases, but you'll heal big ones. That's nuts. We see Jesus healing every manner of sickness and every manner of disease. That means every manner of sickness and disease. You can't get greater than that. So it's got to be greater in the operation or in the manner of delivery. What else could greater mean? So what do we see? We see the healing power of God has to have a heavenly substance or a materiality because that heavenly substance or materiality soaked into the fabrics of cloths, handkerchiefs and aprons. It soaked into that substance, whatever those things were made of, and it resided, it dwelt in that handkerchief and apron until it was taken to somebody else, and then when it was laid on their bodies, then that, that healing power, that substance, heavenly substance, went out of the cloth and into the body of the sick or evil or demon-possessed and delivered them and healed them. Another thing you can see about the healing power of God is this heavenly materiality did the same work, whether it was sickness or whether it was a demon. You get the devil turning people up, Side down over, this is not a matter of healing, you've got an evil spirit. I wish I had a dollar for everybody that came to me and said, Pastor Mike, do I have an evil spirit? I'd have a lot of dollars. And I've never come across anybody that the Holy Ghost witnessed to me that they do. I'll always ask them the same thing. What made you think that? Well, somebody told me that they thought maybe it was an evil spirit. Thank you for blessing my life. What a blessing. What an encouragement. They didn't do anything to set you free. They just told you, you've got a devil. Wow, we need more people in the body of Christ to help us like that, don't we? How crazy is that? Why would God show you that it's an evil spirit if he doesn't give you the power to cast it out? So that somebody could be tormented with it? At your blessing? Folks, I get so chapped about some of this stuff. Because I get the after effect of it. I get people coming and, and, and they're wrecks in many cases. They've just been beaten up and tossed around and, and tormented by all kinds of things. And I've never yet found anybody that was, that was oppressed of the devil in that manner. Like maybe they've been told that they were. And I always tell them the same thing. Even if it was. I don't have any witness that it is. But even if it was, what difference would that make? The same healing power of God that heals the sick casts out evil spirits. What difference would it make? See, the devil wants to try to make you think, oh, it's the devil. (laughs) Folks, do you realize a headache is the devil? Do you realize that the flu is the devil? Do you realize that temptation is the devil? A lot of people don't realize that about temptation because they don't resist long enough to figure that out. 
But it's all the devil. It's not big devils and little devils. It's all the devil. Anything that's contrary to God's plan and purpose is the devil. Well, what do we do over it, about it? We take the word of God by faith and we exercise authority. So what do we see about the healing power of God? We see that, see that it has to have a heavenly substance or materiality. Has to. That means when you reach out in faith to take hold of the healing power of God, you're grabbing something. Now, how do we imagine that these things work? I think a lot of times our imagination gets us in trouble. We read stories like this. God worked special miracles by the hands of Paul so that when Paul laid his hands on handkerchiefs and aprons, and man, he got mad. Fire flashed from his eyes and sparks came out of his hand, and they knew that that cloth was really something. Does it say anything about people that are taking the cloth going, whoo, whoo, whoo? See, we get the idea that if it was powerful, it had to be something unusual. Well, what does unusual mean? Special miracles, divine intervention into the ordinary course of nature. Somebody tell me, what did it feel like to Peter when he walked on the water? Oh, Pastor Mike, that was the greatest miracle that Peter had ever experienced. It had to have been a great thing. Then why did he doubt and start sinking? If he felt something, why did he doubt and start sinking? Why didn't he get out there on the water and said, oh, man, I never knew it'd be like this. This is great. No, he looks around and says, the wind's blowing just like it was before I got out of the boat. That wave caught me about waist high. Man, I'm too far to reach the boat. What am I going to do now? There was no feeling associated with the miracle that he was participating in, that he was experiencing. What does that mean? That means he felt normal. That means he felt normal. That means he was not aware of any extra power of God that superseded the laws of nature. Something is keeping him on top of the water. Now, I don't know if the water becomes solid under his feet or if he is is uh, overcoming the law of gravity. I don't know how it works, but it's got to work some way. Scientifically, it has to be operating some way. Peter didn't feel it. Whatever it was, he didn't feel it. He's right in the middle of a great miracle. I'd sure like to experience that. I wish you could practice that. Go out to the pool in the night, you know, when nobody's looking. But Peter felt normal. He's in the middle of a great miracle. He's walking on the water to go to Jesus. Doesn't feel a thing. He can't be feeling a thing. Because if he was feeling something, he wouldn't be plagued by, gee, what about the wind? What about the waves? That one splashed me. What did he think? Did he think that if he walked on the water, all of a sudden everything would be calm? Wasn't calm for Jesus when he was walking on the water. We know that he doubted because when he started to sink, he said, Lord, help me. Jesus reached out and grabbed him by the arm and said, Oh, thou of little faith, wherefore did thou doubt? Why did you start doubting? It's a great question. You're in the middle of a tremendous miracle. Why did you start doubting? Well, from a from a human standpoint, the answer is pretty simple, and that is because he didn't feel anything happening. And that's what keeps some people out of the things of God. It keeps a lot of people out of the things of God. They don't feel something happening, so they question what's 
really going on. But like in Peter's case, they may have the healing power of God at work, but they can't see or they can't feel it. But because they don't feel it, then they're thinking, I don't guess it's working after all. And just like Peter, they start to sink. But instead of coming back up to a place of faith and walking back to the boat with Jesus, they lose everything that started. Look with me over to Mark chapter 5. Let's see something that's similar to this in Jesus' ministry. Again, we're talking about the reality of the healing power of God. We're talking about a heavenly materiality of God's healing power. Mark chapter 5. This is probably a new story to most of you because I never refer to this. The woman with the issue of blood. The regulars know I talk about this all the time. But it's a great story. It's one of the greatest stories there there is about the operation of faith because it is the most, or one of at least, the most concise examples and explanations of how to receive from God. Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 25. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years, that's a long time, huh? And had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all she had and was nothing better but rather grew worse. Please notice she didn't give Jesus the first shot. She's been trying to get rid of this thing for 12 years. Now, Jesus obviously has not been on the scene for 12 years, but she's been doing everything she can. Now, she started off sick. Now, she's got additional problems. She's sick and broke. When she heard of Jesus, verse 27, when she had heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and took his garment. Now, folks, please realize... We can fantasize these things and, and religiousize these things and make this seem some sweet message. Oh, isn't that lovely? This woman is desperate. She's got nothing left. Think of somebody that's been told they've got six months to live. I mean, get the right picture of what's going on here. Don't make this some flowery thing where she just tiptoes over to Jesus knowing full well what's going to happen before the fact. Now, put yourself in her situation. The doctors have done everything that they can. They've given her up to die. She's broke. She's penniless now. She hears of Jesus, and she goes to him in desperation as far as her natural condition is concerned. When she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind And touched his garment for, she said. Now, when I say she came in desperation, I want you to understand her situation. Her circumstance was desperate, but she chose to operate from some different position spiritually. And the different position that she takes is what puts her in place to receive the miracle that God created mankind for. You need to understand that. The Bible says in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 8, uh, verse 18, I think it is. It says that man was created for signs and wonders. It said man was created for signs and wonders. Now, it talks about Israel and all that kind of stuff. But but the only reason that there's a difference between Israel and the church today is because Israel has rejected the Abrahamic covenant, which was fulfilled in Jesus going to the cross. How do we know? Galatians 3.13 says, if you're Christ, then are you Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise? Some people talk about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. If you mean by that the Old Testament books and the New Testament books, that's fine. i got no problem with that. But God doesn't have an Old Covenant and a New Covenant. He has one covenant, and that is the covenant he made with Abraham. The Old Testament tells us about the fulfillment of that, that covenant to Israel, his, Abraham's natural children. The New Testament tells us about the fulfillment of that covenant to Abraham's spiritual children, and that is 
the Gentiles and anybody, Jews or Gentiles, anybody that will receive Jesus by faith. But there's still one covenant. You're an heir of the promise of Abraham. That means Abraham's promise, Abraham's covenant is still in effect. Amen? So don't think the Jews had something different than you do. How many times have we heard the devil tell us, well, that was just for the Jews? Okay, that works for me. That means it was part of the Abrahamic covenant. That's what I've got. So what did she do? When she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment for or because she said. She touched his garment for a reason, folks. Please understand that. She touched his clothes for a reason. What was the reason? For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. She touched him for the purpose of receiving something that was in him. Now, how does she know something would take place if she touched his clothes? There are other examples throughout uh, the uh, Gospels that tell us about people being healed by touching his garment. There's also an Old Testament prophecy in Malachi chapter 4, which said the son of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Healing in his wings is the hem of his garment. The wings literally means the the, the hem of the garment. Matthew chapter 14 talks about the multitudes that came to Jesus that sought to touch the hem of his garment, and as many as touched were made perfectly whole. This is not an uncommon thing in Jesus' ministry. So what do we have? We have the same thing, the same healing power of God, the same substance or heavenly materiality that goes from Jesus, who is anointed with the Holy Ghost and anointed with healing power, that goes into his clothes and saturates his clothes so that people don't even have to touch him. They just touch his clothes, and that healing power can be received. But how is it received? Well, we know what she did. She said, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt. When did she feel? When did she feel something? Before she gets to Jesus, she feels an issue of blood. When does she feel something? She feels something after she believes. And a lot of people have got that backwards. They want to believe after they feel something. A lot of people fail to receive the things of God because they're waiting to feel something. Peter was waiting to feel something before he accepted, I'm really walking on the water, I guess. Or it's really what I thought it was going to be. It was contrary to what he expected in some manner, and I'm not the one to tell you what it is, but something was going on that Peter didn't expect would still be going on, and that's what caused him to get his eyes off of what was happening and how he felt and turn them instead of how to how he felt. That's exactly what people do where the healing power of God's concerned. When she heard of Jesus, she came in the press behind and touched his garment, for she said, the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the spirit of man, the mouth speaks. She's speaking something from her spirit. What does that mean? It means she's not talking about something according to how she feels. She still feels the issue of blood. She still feels just as sick as she did before she heard of Jesus. She still feels the same things, but she chooses to believe something and take action from her heart, from her spirit, and that action is confession. She chooses to confess what she believes instead of how she feels. What does she believe? She said, if I touch, if I can only touch his clothes, I shall be whole. Now, the Bible says Jesus is going to call this faith in verse 34. The Bible says in Romans ten seventeen. so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So when she heard of Jesus, in my opinion, she had to have heard something about people being healed by touching Jesus. Otherwise, how is she going to have faith for touching his garment? She has to have heard something in line with that for it to build faith, for it to work for her too. 
If she's heard that Jesus is baptizing in water, how's that going to give her faith to be healed? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. You've got to hear something according to what the word says in order for it to produce faith in your heart, in your spirits for you to act on. So the fact that she acted from her spirit and produced faith tells me that she heard something about people's, about Jesus healing ministry, number one, and probably specifically about people being healed by touching his garment. Because she said, if I may touch but his clothes, only his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Let me change these words around for you to show you the point of what's being said. And immediately the physical condition in her body changed. How? Now, I don't mean what happened. We know what happened. What happened was she started off with an issue of blood and that issue of blood stopped. So I know that part. But what I mean is, how did the blood flow stop? Folks, we're not talking fairy tales. We're talking about something that came out of Jesus and into her. She felt it that stopped the condition in her body. It would be the same thing as a tumor disappearing. It would be the same thing as cancer disappearing. Something came from Jesus. Some substance came from Jesus that changed the physical condition of her body. That has to be a heavenly materiality. If it was an earthly materiality, everybody was seeing something go out of him and into her. There had been a lightning flash. There had been something. Spark something. She had a scream. Woo! Like some of these charismatic ladies do. Lay hands on Woo! Well, she didn't woo-hoo or anything else. But something changed the physical condition of her body. Please understand what I'm saying. Something changed the physical condition of her body. Something unseen, but not without substance, changed the physical condition of her body. And so many people say, well, I just didn't feel anything when they laid hands on me. (sighs) Yeah. And? And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Please notice the feeling came after she believed and after she received it. Then she felt. Then she felt. And she felt in her body, that she was healed of that plague. In other words, she felt the change. That means the feeling couldn't come until after the change had occurred. Or maybe it's simultaneous. If you want to, if we want to split hairs, we can say she felt it at the time that it occurred. Fine. But something had to start before any feeling could occur. Right? It's impossible for the Bible to be true otherwise. So something went out of Jesus and into her, that heavenly materiality, that heavenly substance was strong enough, was sufficient enough to change the physical condition uh, in her body, and then she had a feeling in line with that. She felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue, that's the word power, had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, who touched my clothes? Please notice what happened. Jesus feels something after it occurs. Jesus is walking his way. They're on the way to Jairus' house. He's walking on his way. She touches the hem of his garment. Something changes. Something moves from him. The healing power of God that saturates his clothes is something that he perceived 
or felt. I, I don't know if that's a physical feeling or if he's a, just spiritually aware of it. I don't know. It doesn't matter to me, but it could be either one, I guess. It goes out of him and out of his garments into her, affects a change in her body that she feels and he feels it go out of him at the same time. So he stops immediately. He says, who touched me? And the disciples, I love the story. Here's one of the reasons why I love this story so much. And the disciples, what a help they were. And his disciples said unto him, thou seest the multitude thronging thee and sayest thou who touched me? It's not enough that they say, I don't know. They're saying, what kind of question is that? Now, why are they saying that? Why are they taking that position? They they should, if they had any sense, being around Jesus as long as they were and, and seeing the kind of ministry that Jesus had and the healing ministry that Jesus had, they should have recognized something happened. Let's look. But they don't. They stop there and say, everybody's touching you. What kind of question are you asking? Who touched me? Ever, the whole reason there's a press around Jesus is everybody that can touch him is trying to. They're pushing people, struggling, pushing through and, and, and reaching over folks, trying to touch Jesus. Why? Because maybe they've heard the same thing the woman has heard, that Jesus heals, and sometimes people get healed by touching him. Who knows? They must be expecting or, or hoping for something, looking for a feeling by making contact with him in some way or another because everybody's trying to touch him. If they haven't heard that something happens when people touch him, why are they trying to touch him? The problem is they didn't come expecting like she did. They didn't come saying, if I touch him, I'll receive something. They came to see the show. Let's see what happens if we put our hand on him. But one person, and only one person that's identified in this whole multitude, this whole throng of people, however big a throng is, I don't know. Look up throng, it doesn't tell you how big. But it says, thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me. In other words, however big this crowd is, everybody that can touch you is trying to. And you're looking for one person that touched you. And Jesus, pitying the foolish disciples, looked round about to see her that had done this thing. He doesn't stop to argue with the disciples. He's looking around to see who, who got something. That should be easy enough to tell. You know what is not said in this story that people fail to realize? She's not the only sick person in this crowd. She may not be the most sick person in this crowd. And see, so many people have the idea that, oh, the Lord sees my situation. He sees, and because he sees, if he wants to do something about it, he'll just do it. Hogwash. This says that the person that received something is the person that made the determination in their heart based on what they heard about Jesus and healing. If we turn that around and make that a modern-day uh, pattern, then we'd say it's not the people in the church that think that if God's going to do something or wants to do something, he will do it. It's the people that say, wait a minute, here's what the Bible says about healing in Jesus' day and in the church age, and therefore I believe that I'll receive my healing. That's the point of this whole story. She's not the only sick person. She may not be the most sick person. There may be hundreds of sick people in this crowd, but she's the only one that gets anything. And Jesus is going to tell us why. And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, knowing what was done in her, I love that, she felt something when it occurred, now she knows. First she believed, now she knows. Believing will bring you to the place of knowing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace and behold thy plague. Please put 
verse 28 together with verse 34. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And he said unto her, daughter, your faith has made you whole. For she said, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And he said unto her, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Now, folks, can I submit to you that there's a little bit more to it than what Jesus said? The healing power of God is what made her whole. Jesus felt it go out of him. She felt it go into her. The healing power of God is what made her whole. Why did Jesus say her faith did it? Because it was her faith that activated the healing power of God that was available for anybody and everybody else in the whole crowd. It was her faith, her faith. She did something that caused her to receive and be healed. Jesus didn't say, oh, boy, my whole reason for being here today is because I knew you were coming. Because God told me last night in prayer that you're the one. Yet that's so so close to what so many people think about how healing works. No, she wasn't the one. She was one. But Jesus had enough healing power for everybody in the crowd that needed it. But there was only one person in this crowd that's identified that would have, was willing to operate in faith. What does that faith look like? For she said, if I can may touch, just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. Jesus said, that's faith. Faith must have something to do with what you say. That sounds remarkably like Mark eleven twenty three. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. What she said was going to come to pass. She said, If I can just touch your clothes, I shall be whole. Jesus said, Daughter, your faith has made you whole. Folks, we're not looking for some imaginary thing when we talk about healing. We're not looking for some something without substance. That doesn't mean you can feel it. Sometimes, sometimes feelings do uh, uh, accompany. But we're talking about something that has a substance. We're talking about something that has a materiality. And that healing materiality, that heavenly materiality, excuse me, that heavenly materiality can change the situation of a person's body. So which is greater, the circumstance in the body or the heavenly materiality? Well, if the circumstance in the body was greater, then it would be impossible for the heavenly materiality of healing to change it. Yet we have example after example where the Holy Ghost saves us, examples so that we can know how healing works that shows us that that heavenly substance of healing power changes scientifically, physically changes the circumstance in the human body. That kind of does away with the idea of, oh, God, please heal me. Oh, dear Jesus, you know how much I love you. Please heal me. If that was her attitude, she'd still be trying to get to Jesus. Touching him again and again and again with no results. Just like most of the rest of the crowd did, or everybody else in the crowd, whoever was able to touch him, did. She didn't touch him to see what she was going to get. She touched him because she believed something. And what she believed was based on what she had heard of Jesus. Well, what have you heard? The Bible says Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses on the cross. He was wounded, Isaiah 53, 5 says he was wounded for your transgressions, that's sins. He was bruised for your iniquities, that's sins. 
the chastisement of your peace was upon him. That's provision. That's the penalty or the uh, uh, the overcoming of the curse of poverty. And by his stripes, you were healed. That's the overcoming of sickness. The Bible says in the same verse, the same verse that Jesus paid the price for your sins, he paid the price for your sickness. Now, if somebody was coming to get saved, we wouldn't expect them to pray all night to see if God would do it, would we? No, we'd tell them how to do it. We'd say, here's what the Bible says about how to be saved. Romans 10, 9 and 10. For if you believe in your heart and say with your mouth, believe that, that God raised Jesus from the dead and say with your mouth, confess with your mouth, Jesus is your Lord. That's how you get saved. Believe in the heart and say with the mouth. So we wouldn't say, come pray and see if God's going to do something. Give God a try. We wouldn't do that, would we? No, we'd say we can have confidence of what's going to happen here. Here's what you do. We'd lead them in a prayer, declaring that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and he was raised from the dead so that we might be saved. We would have them confess Jesus as the Lord and expect with certainty that they'd be saved on the spot. Right? Why is it different with healing? Jesus paid the same price at the same time for sins as he did sickness. So why is it different for healing? It's not different on God's end. It's not one bit different on God's end. That's different on people's end. And the difference is on people's end is we haven't taught people. I'm talking to the church-wide. I'm not talking about us. But church-wide, we haven't taught people that healing belongs to them in the same manner that we've talked, told them that forgiveness of sins belongs to them. We're big. The church is big on forgiveness of sins belongs to you. Jesus has forgiven your sins. But where's the truth about Jesus having healed them from sickness? No, we leave them out there with, well, you never know what God's going to do. Folks, it's not a question of what God's going to do. He's already done everything he's going to do. He sent Jesus to the earth to die on the cross for your sins and your sicknesses. It's not a matter of what God's going to do. The question is, what are you going to do? you got a whole crowd full of people that were waiting to see what God was going to do. And what did he do? Nothing for them. But you got one woman that came in the press, came in this multitude, struggled to get to him, probably maybe one of the weakest ones of the bunch, struggled to get to Jesus, but because she came believing something, she got immediately what she came to get. How hard is that for us to understand? Yet churches will fight wars over this. Well, you just can't expect God to do it every time. We expect him to save every time. Well, God heals people through medical science nowadays. That's like saying God saves people through the universities. Now, folks, it's still a supernatural operation for salvation, forgiveness of sins, as well as healing. Same supernatural operation. There's a heavenly materiality, the healing power of God. This is not some pie in the sky. Oh, Lord, please let something happen. It's something where you put the principles at work. John Lake used to say this. He would say that electricity is the power, uh, is natural power. Healing is supernatural power. And he said the same laws or the same kind of principles that govern electricity govern healing power. He said if you turn on a light switch, you expect the lights to come on. You're not standing in awe when it happens. Because you operated according to the laws of electricity to make them work. 
When you operate according to the laws of healing, the spiritual laws of healing, you get the, the supernatural healing power of God in operation. It's, an, it's a common thing. It's something that works because God set it up to work like this. Now, whether you know it or not, just as much as the law of gravity will always work on the earth, the law of faith will always work in the spirit. You don't get out of bed every morning and wonder, is gravity going to be working today? You don't wake up and say, you know, I don't feel human. I just, I'm not sure gravity's going to operate today. I, I just feel different than I did yesterday, so I guess gravity won't work. It doesn't have anything to do with how you feel. The spiritual law of faith has nothing to do with how you feel either. It works every time. Now, she's a great example. This woman with the issue of blood is a great example because she used uh, or the Bible tells us of her search circumstance, her situation to show us how to operate in faith even when you don't feel like it. She feels weak. She feels sick. But what does she do? She says, because of what she's heard, she says, if I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. If I can just touch his clothes, I shall be whole. Folks, I want to read to you very quickly from James chapter 5. Here's what the Bible says about how healing should work in the church. Now, when I say the church, I mean in the church body, the local church. James chapter 5, verse 14. It says, is any sick among you? The implication is there shouldn't be. Sure wouldn't write that to churches nowadays, would you? You'd write 75 or 80% of you that are sick. Here's what you need to do. He says, is any sick among you? Let them or him call him the sick, call for the elders of the church and let them, the elders, pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall, everybody say shall, the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Now, the word save is the word heal. It's translated heal, it's translated whole in other places in the New Testament. The prayer of faith shall make the sick whole or shall heal the sick. It didn't say might, it didn't say there's a good chance, it didn't say the odds were in your favor. It said the prayer of faith shall save the sick or shall heal the sick. Now, who's going to take it upon themselves to say that that's not true? A lot of people in the church world do. But here are spiritual laws, spiritual principles that govern the law of healing in the church age. This is a a handbook for how electricity works or the equivalent of a handbook for how electricity works. It's a, it's a, a, a synopsis. It's a summary. Here's how, here's the principle that makes the spiritual law of healing work. This is it. Let the sick call for the elders of the church and let the elders pray over them, anointing them with oil in the prayer, in the, in the name of the Lord. Notice it's not the oil that does it. It's not the, the prayer that does, or the praying over them that does it. It's not the special elders. It's not any of that kind of stuff. It says there's one and only one thing that heals the sick, and that is the prayer of faith. And the prayer of faith, not the oil, not anything else, but the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. Shall heal the sick. Shall heal the sick. In other words, he's saying that the prayer of faith shall make available the heavenly materiality of God's healing power. It's an automatic. Now, the healing power of God was available in in Mark chapter 5 because Jesus was there and he had it. Only one person out of the multitude received it because only one person was operating in faith. So we can make the healing power of God available for anybody and everybody by praying the prayer of faith. But it's still up to the individual to take hold of it and receive it. Now, don't let that freak you out. It's an easy thing. The devil wants to make you think, oh, faith is hard. 
How hard was it for you to get saved? You may have been hard-headed about getting saved. But once you decided to make Jesus the Lord of your life, all the power in hell couldn't stop you. It wasn't hard. You just decided you did what the Bible says and you got saved. Works the same way with healing. Now, I might also remind you that when you did get saved, you didn't get cleaned up the next day. There were still things for you to work through in your life, and you may not have looked saved to people on the outside that didn't know what had taken place inside. So just because you received the healing power of God by faith doesn't mean you're going to get an instant result that everybody's going to know, the doctor's going to confirm, and so forth. It means that's where the process begins. But the prayer of faith shall save the sick or shall heal the sick. It's a law of God, folks. You can't change those. You can change natural laws. You can overcome them and supersede them with the power of God, but you can't change laws of God. Nobody can. This is one. Can't change it. And the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. I think I'm more excited about this than you are. what the Bible says, isn't it? The only way around this is if the Bible's not true. And if that's your position, I'm sorry, I can't help you. I found that the Bible is true. And if it's true, and it is, thank God it is, then the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. Prayer of faith shall heal the sick. Who's here that needs hands laid on you to receive your healing? Stand up on your feet if you're here. You want to have hands laid on you, receive your healing. Stand up on your feet, please. Now, when I say to receive your healing, I'm talking about the woman with the issue of blood kind of faith, the woman with the issue of blood kind of position. You're willing to come believing ahead of time that when hands are laid on you, this prayer of faith shall heal you. If that's what you're willing to do, then keep standing. If not, just feel free to sit down. No hard feelings. It's okay. All right. Those of you that are standing, if you'll step out from where you are and make your way up here, please. The ushers will show you how to line up across the front. I tell you what, just put the edge of your toes on the to edge of the brown carpet, shoulder to shoulder. Don't stand behind anybody, please. Come all the way around to the side if you need to. Hallelujah. Okay, is this it? All right, ushers, don't let anybody else in the line. I say that for this reason. I don't want you to see something happen and then get inspired because of what you see. Because I want people up here because of what they believe before they see or feel anything. Amen? Amen. All right. Those of you in the congregation, stand up with us and help us. Hallelujah. Lord, how do we? How do you want me to do this? You want me to pray for these folks all at once or you want me to pray for them individually? What do you want me to do? All right. I'll do just that. I'm going to pray for you all at once. So I want you to hear this prayer. I'm going to pray specifically the prayer of faith for your healing. But then I'm going to come by and lay hands on you. If God directs me to do something otherwise, then I will. Or in addition to that, then I will. Father, we come tonight. These come to receive healing in their bodies. We're acting in obedience to your word. We're acting in obedience to James chapter 5, which says, if there is any sick among the church and they are to call for the elders of the church, they did that by coming to healing school, Lord.
then as we pray over them, anointing with oil, you said the prayer of faith shall heal the sick. So, Father, we thank you by faith right now. Because Jesus was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. We declare that these people are healed by faith in Jesus' precious name. We declare it to be so, and we lay hands on them now, Father. We thank you that the contact of our hands will transmit the heavenly materiality of your healing power to affect a healing and a cure in each and every one of them from the top of their heads to the soles of their feet. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Is it you or him? Father, we lay hands on our brother in the name of Jesus. We thank you for ministering your healing power to him now to affect a healing and a cure in his body. From the, There it is. That's it right there. Just went right out of my hand and into your head. Receive your healing. Amen. Father, we lay hands on our sister in the name of Jesus in obedience to your word. We thank, That's it right there. Went right out of my hand and into your head. That's the heavenly materiality of God's healing power. Receive that in Jesus' name. That's it. Hallelujah. Father, we lay hands on our brother in the name of Jesus. Yes, you are. In Jesus' name, receive your healing now. That's it. That's all there is to it. There it is. Hallelujah. Father, we lay hands on our brother in the name of Jesus. We minister your healing power to him, that heavenly materiality that changes things in his body, that affects a healing and a cure in him. That's it right there. From the top of his head to the soles of his feet. Amen. Amen. In the name of Jesus, receive your healing. That's it. That's it right there. Going right into you. Receive your healing in Jesus' name. That's it. Receive your healing. In the name of Jesus. Receive your healing. In the name of Jesus. That's it. Take a deep breath. Say, I receive. That's it. That's all there is to it. Receive your healing. The heavenly materiality. (laughs) That's it right there. Receive that in Jesus' name. Be healed. (laughs) In the name of Jesus. That's it right there. It's going right into you. That's it. Be healed in Jesus' name. That's it. Going right out of my hands and into your head. In Jesus' name. Mm. Father, we curse this thing in the name of Jesus. And I command him to be healed in the name that's above every name. 
Uh huh. That's it. Now, receive your healing now. In Jesus' name. That's it. It's going right into you. Going right into you there. Hallelujah. Receive your healing. In Jesus' name. Be healed. In the name. (laughs) In the name of Jesus. The name that's above every name. The name of Jesus. Receive your healing now. In Jesus' name. That's it. It's going right into you. Take a deep breath and say, I receive. That's it. That's it. Father, we minister your healing power to our sister. In the name of Jesus. That's it. That's it right there. Father, we minister the healing power of God to our brother. We thank you, Father, that that power is at work in him to restore him to divine health. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Be healed. In Jesus. (laughs) That's it right there. Going right into you. Be healed in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Be healed. In Jesus' name. That's it. In Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Hallelujah. Paul, are you standing here or are you in line? What are you backing up for? Be healed. In Jesus' name. That's it. Healing power of God right there. Now, for everybody in the congregation, those we prayed for and those that are in the, that are sitting or not sitting, you know what I mean. You know who I'm talking to. Let's all lift our hands and thank God because the prayer of faith has healed the sick. Yeah, but I don't feel anything. I don't care what you feel. Law of God says the prayer of faith shall save, the, or shall save, shall heal the sick. Thank you, Father, that these people are healed in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, that the prayer of faith is, has, and is healing each and every one of these in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. It's a law of God. It can't be changed. The devil will tell you it's not true, but it is. So you just hold fast. Keep the switch of faith turned on. When tomorrow comes, if you can't see a change in your body, and the devil says, see, it didn't work, you say, at 7.20, Sunday night, I received my healing in Jesus' name. And the Word of God says in James chapter 5 and verse 15, that the prayer of faith shall heal the sick, and that's me. So, Mr. Devil, I'm healed by faith. According to the word of God. That's all it is. You may have to stand a day. You may have to stand a week. You may have to stand a month. I don't know. It may be instant for some of you. But whether it's instant or whether it's progressive is still just as true. Don't ever, ever, ever let the devil talk you out of it. Father, we thank you that healing is ours. We thank you that we've received it tonight. We thank you that your word of God is working. 
by faith in Jesus' precious name. Say it with me. I am healed by, according to God's Word in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Well, it's been good to be together. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming to be with us. Have a great evening and a great rest of the week. Or rest of the week. I guess we're just starting in the week, aren't we? We'll see you soon.